Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, the alternative wealth building podcast for high income earners. My name is Christian Allen, and with me today is filling in for Rod the Pod, Blake Never Takes a Break Brogan, who is with us for what the third, fourth week in a row? Are you just row, are you just pushing Rod out the door? Well, he you know he's on a He's taking a week off. I told him before he left. I said, two weeks, two weeks. Okay. Well, I'm like, you don't want things to go too well without you. You know, it's like the, (laughs) it's like the quarterback who gets injured, who's still cheering for his team, but he doesn't want the backup coming in just just winning every game. So we'll see how it goes. He should watch himself. And some of it depends on the coach, right? Like some coaches don't believe in, in a player losing their spot due to injury, but some of the time it's like winning or losing bottom line. So if you drive the, if you're driving the ratings, Blake, we'll just push Rod right out the door. Uh, But Rod is actually on a humanitarian um, trip for the next couple of weeks. So he's out doing good in the world, which is super cool. So uh, we wish Rod the best of luck while he's gone and we'll have Blake with us filling in and likely we'll bring uh, Brendan in with us next week as well. So it should be fun. Okay, like today, I'm calling the podcast episode Breaking Free from Conventional Wealth Building. And this has been like a bunch of kajumbled thoughts in my head. And it's coming out today in what I hope will be like a valuable and impactful podcast episode. So here's the deal. Um, One of the things that we typically see with the people that we meet with, that we visit with day to day, that we interact with, is that they're either at or going through some sort of a a paradigm shift. And when I say a paradigm shift, I'm talking specifically about around money, but, but it might even be bigger than just money, right? Like it's kind of like a life money combination because generally speaking, when somebody moves from what we typically call the traditional investment space, which you know is our stocks, bonds, and 401ks, IRAs, all the things that we typically think of, and they move into the, the more alternative space, which is typically private equity, real estate, um, harder assets, things like that, then there's not the same kind of do-it-for-you mentality that exists here. And usually what happens is there's kind of a shift in mindset in that they're starting to think, okay, there's likely more than one way to do this. And the way that I've been doing it may or may not be the best way. Okay, so here's my here's my question for you, Blake, as we kick off the show, because you're out there meeting with people, like like you're the, you're the one out there meeting with people day to day. Um, I'm a little bit less in touch with that side of things these days. So what's been kind of your experience as you're meeting with people, you're talking with people, just how does this concept relate to the people that you're meeting with? Yeah. So, you know, one of the cool parts about what we do is we do get introduced to a lot of people. And because of that, people are in different, um, but, but, you know, you'd say different stages of their wealth building journey. And then as it relates to this topic, 
you know, people have come from different places, whether they're in the conventional camp, fully in the entrepreneurial camp, and in the conversations that we have around some of the strategies that we help people implement, you can kind of see some of this um, breaking out. So for example, we might meet with someone who's younger, who is all about the alternative space, looking to figure out, okay, how am I going to set myself up for to either build generational wealth or retire at an early age? Like people have, have different goals. And so they want to just kind of see, okay, you know, what are some of the strategies that I could do that? And then what are you seeing other people in your community doing? So they're asking questions like that. Some of the tools that we have, how are they helping? How would they help me get to my goals earlier? We also have other people who are, um, who have been in this, you know, more alternative type of, and I'm not saying just saying alternative assets, but just alternative mind space. Again, they're not just down the stocks, bonds, mutual funds, 401ks, as you mentioned, who are older and they're, they're thinking they're, they're already past this. They, they've been entrepreneurs. They've created a lot of wealth either in their business or in the investing that they've done. And now they're, they're starting to think legacy minded. How are these strategies that you guys teach or, or other things that I could implement? Um, how could they, you know, build my, my legacy even more as I'm entering a next phase? So, you know, we, we really meet with a lot of people who are all over the spectrum but certainly some of the topics that we're going to hit on today, um, you know, we're going to have people the who fit right into those. So I feel like the, for, for several years, like we, okay. So I think it was seven or eight years ago, we started uh, working with Buck of wealth formula and that kind of got us a connection to the, the physician community, right? Like that's kind of where we started to build that. Um, connection that we have today. And it seems like what what I typically saw would was a higher high income earning physician who had generally initially started to kind of max out 401ks, I like do the typical stuff. And then they started to look around and feel like, huh, maybe I'm not getting ahead as quickly as I thought, especially for the income level that I have, right? Or or maybe they saw a big tax bill that came in, right? And they're like, gosh, is there some better way to deal with this? Um, and so what you see then is them looking, we see people looking for a better way to do it, right? A, a, an alternative to the traditional way of thinking and the traditional way of investing. So what generally happens then is they turn to other people who have been successful. So to your point, they're looking at the community now right? They're looking at uh, and seeing like, hey, where can I go to find people that are accomplishing things that are like what I would like to accomplish? And then you get this group, these group of highly successful people together, and they suddenly start all thinking in like a similar entrepreneurial um, investor type mindset. And now everybody's just kind of growing. And it's been kind of a cool thing. And with, I feel like that's what I've seen so much. And maybe Maybe that's where the emphasis goes. Okay, so here's a truth bomb for you, Blake. Tell me if you agree or disagree with this. But my truth bomb is that just without question, the most effective way to build wealth is through entrepreneurship, through business ownership. What do you think? Is that fair? Without question. Without question. Okay. I think it's fair. Okay. And and to that point, you know, there's a lot of people um, 
there certainly are high income type of jobs that you can get in the corporate world, you know, attorneys, doctors, but the the people that I meet with and that, you know, that we see on a regular basis, most of the wealth, yes, they had a high income doing what they're doing, but in terms of generational wealth or like really taking it to the next level, it's because they owned something or or some business or something outside of just their their W2 job that really helped them create wealth. So even, you know, my story is kind of early on, I would, I maybe you don't even know this, Christian, but growing up, I was a caddy at a golf course, a couple, couple country clubs. I knew town. you were a golfer, so I, I had that, but okay. I didn't know you were a caddy. But from okay. ages like That's 13 to, to 21, I was a caddy. And what I quickly realized at these country clubs is I'm dealing with very affluent people, and they're also golfing at Tuesday at 11 a.m. or Wednesday at 1 p.m. And I'm, you know, curious. I'm always asking them, okay, what exactly do you do for a living? Like, how how is it that I'm out here caddying for you on a Tuesday morning? And nearly everyone said something to the effect of, well, I own this business, or I used to own this business, or I had this business and I sold it. Not everyone, but certainly a high majority, I, I quickly realized were building their wealth in some sort of businesses or entrepreneurship ventures. Even so much to the point where when I was, again, I've been caddying all throughout high school and stuff. When I went to go into college, I went to one of the only colleges at the time that had an entrepreneurship program. And that's what my major was at that time. So I just talking to these people, I was so influenced at that time of like Mm. what they were doing. I didn't know what, where entrepreneurship was going to take me. I didn't know I was going to what skill set I, I even I was going to come out of that grad. <laughs> You're just like, you know, I know I like with, that. But I knew I liked that. I didn't know what, you know, what was going to happen on the back end. But but certainly um, the people who have created the lifestyle that they really enjoy to to a degree have owned or or uh, built some sort of entrepreneurship path. And so I totally agree with your your truth bomb. OK, so here's a question. And, and this may not even be a fair one to ask, but I'm going to ask it and give me your best thoughts. So. What do you think? And obviously you meet with a lot of people. Most of them that you meet with are already kind of on this path, right? But that said, not everybody is. So what are the things that come to your mind or or, or what is the reason or some of the reasons that people struggle to make that paradigm shift? What's holding people and I what I would say is what's holding people back because there's this opportunity to live a life that's that's a lot more um let's just at least say on your own terms I don't want to say it's more meaningful because Mm -hmm. everyone can find meaning in their lives in different ways but at the very least you're living life on your own terms and in a more you know freedom um creating way so what is it that's holding people back when you talk to them that just doesn't seem to click in to get from the that place to this other place, which, you know, is a thin margin. I, if I could boil it down to one thing, it would be their circle of influence. And I can tell early on when I'm meeting with someone who's, who's been influencing them, what sort of things have they been consuming and what type of groups are they involved with or who they're, who would be their peers in certain situations. And I think, you know, we, we oftentimes will attend um, or sponsor uh, 
a conference, right? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of alternative wealth building conferences. And I think what you see there, the reason that these are so popular, I can't believe, you know, the crowds that a lot of these people can can generate. It's because they're searching for that circle of influence. Maybe, you know, they have that higher income, but they, they're starting to experience some of the things that you mentioned where, okay, my, there's got to be a better way. Either my tax bills are too high or I'm not getting as, as far ahead in the market as I want. They're, just, they're searching for other strategies, other paths to create a little more freedom for themselves. Um, but really, it goes back to who they're listening to. So even, even early on in the conversation, I can tell, are they coming in very skeptical of these ideas? Um, in which case... They might have heard something and they're like, oh, that could be interesting, but I don't know other people doing this. And so I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant. Maybe I just kind of want to feel these guys out or, or what's going on. Or you're talking to other people like, hey, I know everyone's doing this. And so, you know, what what would it look like in my situation? And those type of people, you know, they're they're being influenced by um, people who are, you know, on the generational wealth building or they're thinking alternatively just in the sense that these people may have less idea of of the strategies and the details that they're going to get into but they know that that people are are doing these strategies so it, it must work and it must be beneficial for me i just want to learn more so really at the end of the day i think it i think it's circle of influence yeah that's interesting um and i think there's probably a lot of truth to it we do see it all the time and one of the can I just say one of the best parts about doing business the way that we do it is that most of the people that we visit with have like this kind of have already gone through or in this shifting mindset. And it makes it really fun because people like are already on your same page. Right. Which, by the way, is so different. I mean, tell me, like, do you remember as like a, you know, a new a new agent out there trying to meet with people and you're trying to convince them that they need to do X, Y, or Z, right? And this is going to lead us into another conversation, but you had to have had those conversations. I know I did. I try all the time to not remember those days. They're painful, But yeah, right? I do remember them. And yeah, getting, <laughs> and so in right, like this- getting in the right, you know, circles and the right, you know, groups completely changes the conversation, makes things way more fun. I remember like it it really now it's been a long, long time since I had to do that, but it is such a breath of fresh air to get on a meeting with somebody who um, has already consumed information, content, understands at least the baseline of what we're wanting to talk about and sees this as doesn't walk in with an adversarial type relationship. Like you're on the same page and it makes it a lot of fun. But the reason that that happens it goes back to your point. It's because of the community that gets created. And that community, I think to your point is also where a lot of that mind shift, that that mindset shift comes from. So I guess what I would say is to anybody who's on the fence or, or maybe kind of trying to figure out where they fit in that, like the best thing that you can do is find your tribe, find the people who feel and think about money the way you do. Cause here's the deal. It can be, uh, as like a wealth builder, a wealth builder, it can be a little bit of a lonely road at times because while we see these groups of people together in a community in, you know, on the internet, as an example, they, they may be on a day-to-day uh, basis 
visiting with other physicians that are totally on a different wavelength from them, uh, you know, a sibling, a parent, any of these things, like that's what it typically, that's what they typically are up against. And so the, to your point, like it's circle of, it's like your, your circle of influence and it's the, the information that you bring into your brain, right? Like if I can, if I'm constantly consuming um, if I'm on Fox news all the time, I'm probably going to get a lot of stuff that's, you know, Dave Ramsey, for example. So anyway, it's just a, it's just a different mindset. Okay. Um, but I think this brings us into one of the conversations that I want to have uh, aside from just, um, the paradigm shift that from, from traditional to alternative again, both from, a both, both from like a, take it upon yourself and from an investment perspective, I want to talk about cash flow versus accumulation um, from like a retirement planning method specifically. Okay. Because this is, this is one of those paradigm shifts or one of those things that has to, or maybe doesn't have to happen, but often does happen. And I think it's really powerful. Okay. So first thing, Blake, why don't you just, define for the audience what the cash flow method is versus the accumulation method. Yeah, so I'll start with the accumulation method, but basically if someone wants to retire or maybe they want to keep doing their job, but they want to have freedom to retire if they want or live life a little bit on their on their own terms, they basically you have to replace your working income with passive income in in some way, right? And so the typical mindset is the accumulation method, which is I'm just going to store up as much cash as I can. <clears throat> Again, the typical places would be the stock market or what, wherever you're storing up cash. But I want to accumulate as much capital as I can, get to a point where then I can just start draining down those accounts, stop working, and then use the cash flow from my accumulated savings to replace my, my working income. So Certainly that can work. And I think a lot of, you know, especially middle America, right? That may be the best, the best way for them to go about, go about doing it. Alternatively, what we see is, especially people who have a higher income, when you start to calculate the numbers on what you would have to accumulate to go ahead and replace a 500K or million dollar a year working income, right? And live off that, that becomes a, a very large number and oftentimes just tough to, tough to get to. So, the alternative method would be the cash flow method, which is I'm going to either I'm going to use my my capital to invest in things that are going to create cash flow. So those could be you know any type of alternative assets or businesses where I'm going to invest in this business. And that business I may have to be part of it for a while, but eventually what I want to do is is create cash flow from that. And so you can start that journey, you know, even at at a young age, where as opposed to just putting your money into a place that you're hoping to use when you're 65, you can invest in things that are actually going to start bringing cash flow into your into your life now. So th those are really, I think, kind of the two primary ways that are philosophies that that people will go down. Yeah, and um, I, to be totally honest with you, before I. Well, okay. So I've told people this many times. I started as a traditional financial advisor. I have like the. AAMS and AWMA designations that are like hyper-focused on asset management and securities. Um, I don't have a securities license anymore. I dropped it a few years back, but um, my focal point was all of these kind of traditional build it up the way that, the way that you just hear the 
commercials suggest that that's how you do it. Again, I always go back to the stupid ING commercial. Maybe it's showing my age, but like, I I think about the orange number above their head, and and then I think about like how in effect. Okay, so you said something, and I'm going to challenge you on this, Blake. You said that for middle America, this might be the best way to, this might be for them some of the, like the best way to go. And I would argue to that point that it's not the best way for anybody. And here's my reasoning. And and we can, we can go back and forth on this if you, if you disagree, but here's my, here's my thought. Um, And I always say this, the principles that we teach that we focus on for high income earners oftentimes have even greater impact because of maybe like the tax advantages end up being more significant because of income levels and things like that. But I really believe the principles that we're teaching that anybody would be better off creating that mind, that mindset shift, taking it on, even if they can't create the same type of wealth because they don't have the same starting point for income. I would argue that anybody is better off. And my, my other argument would be that We've seen how broken the system is now. Now, it doesn't mean when I say broken, that doesn't mean that somebody can't be a prolific saver and save 50 percent of their income every year and then eventually live like a comfortable retirement like that exists. Right. But but what I would suggest is that if that same discipline, that same belief in that was to be put toward a more productive way of doing it. Again, going back to like a cash flow methodology where, which, we, you know, we oftentimes think about buying real estate and creating cash flow. But to your point, there's so many assets that can create that can create cash flow. It doesn't necessarily have to be that, right? Like there's just so many different, anyway. So my point though, Blake, is to say, I am calling BS on your statement. What do you think? Sure. I, I, and I, I would say I don't disagree with, with what you're saying. However, maybe put it this way. The people I, I, you know, back in the t- days when I would listen to Dave Ramsey every once in a while, if you, the people we're, I'm talking about there are the ones who just can't even save anything. Right. So if you're, if you're just a, a prolific spender and you're spending more than you're making, then there might be strategies of paying down debt or, you know, paying off your house or what, whatever, things like that at least the 401k could at least be a something that you know takes money out of your paycheck before you even see it and spend it that being said i do agree with you that a lot of times as soon as you can get that kind of base foundation in terms of we can start saving money and we're going to look for the most effective way to replace our our working income with passive income there's no doubt that the cash flow method no matter where you are in the journey from an income standpoint I do agree with you that the cash flow method is going to be superior, but you yeah, got to get to the well, baseline so, first. I agree with that. So here's what I'll say. Like, uh, I this might sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth um, because we don't typically like recommend someone start using the investment optimizer at five grand a year, right? Like, that's it's probably not enough to like really create the foundation that we want. Um, maybe we, you know, maybe that still would be better. At least there's a mindset shift that's happening, but to your point, like we usually have kind of minimum baselines before we'll even, we'll recommend utilizing some of the core strategies. So from that sense, it makes sense. Okay. Um, so 
I want to talk specifically about what are some of the issues that are that are inherent with the accumulation method, right? So this goes back to I feel like I'm always talking about the four percent rule, which is so weird in today's world, but it's like it's like scary enough, it's out there constantly, unless you're Dave Ramsey and you're telling people to use the eight percent rule. But and, and maybe I should just go back. Four percent rule just means that's that's the percentage I'm taking off of my lump sum I'm spending, and the idea is that I shouldn't out I shouldn't outspend my money by doing that if I'm you know invested in the market. Um, but Blake, from your perspective, what are some of the biggest issues that you see with using the accumulation method and hoping that you know that works out? Yeah, and. Early in my career, a lot of the people that I was meeting with were were starting to make this transition from um, the saving and accumulating portion of their life into they're now starting to think about distribution and what that's going to look like. Well, we so have people, a we have a baby boomer generation, right? Where yeah. there's such a big market. And when I started in the industry, that was every like that was the market that everybody wanted you to be in. Got to be in the retiree market, the retire because there's so many retirees, right? And by the way, I, the retiree market today, I, I have to give them credit. They have, um, as a whole, been a prolific group of savers, right? So it's impressive. You can get there. Anyway, I, I cut you off. Keep going, Blake. Yeah, no, and, and the market has gone up, and they are a prolific group of savers. You look at real estate prices, you know, the track record of the stock market over their life. It, it has done well, which has contributed to that. But but I agree with you that it has worked out for some people, certainly. Here's what I was noticing, though. As you know, let's say you're you're 55, 60, and you've just been plowing capital into your 401k for 30 years. You've primarily, I mean, of course, it goes up and down, but primarily has gone up. You've seen the great returns. You're not paying taxes. You're loving the account. Now we're starting to shift in this phase of like, okay, I got to start spending this money. And and realistically, what is this couple hundred thousand or a couple million dollars in this account going to actually turn into? And I think that's where a lot of people had an aha moment of like, man, I've got a what I thought was a lot of money. It looks really good on the statement when I log in every every week and check how I did. However, the cash flow, which is at the end of the day, why it goes back to the philosophy of why are you saving money? Why are we building business? Because you want to replace your your income with with passive income, right? So now we have this big account balance, but again, going back to our, let's call it the 4% rule, plus now we got to pay tax on that. What's that going to look like in terms of an annual cash flow? It was nowhere near what they were making pre-retirement, right? And so that's mm -hmm. where I think, you know, some of the aha moments would happen of like, oh man, I've really only just been accumulating money and not really planning for that passive cash flow. And when you start thinking, okay, what, what's going to happen to the market? What happens if it goes down during the first couple of years, right? What will that do to my, uh, like think about back in uh, pre-2008, you had people retiring. If the market goes down in the first couple of years of your retirement, all of a sudden that 50% or 30% hit to your retirement portfolio, that, that starts to look a little scary, Right. And and maybe we got to make adjustments and go back in the workforce. And you would see articles all the time of like, oh, the this generation has got to go back into the workforce after retiring and then taking a, a big loss. So so there are some pitfalls, both of how much money you can take out safely, what's going to happen with the market. Uh, think, you know, things like that. I'll flip it back on you though, Christian. 
you were in that space for a while. Were you seeing the same things or, or what made you maybe start to pivot even in your own mind mm -hmm. from the clients that you were working with? Okay. So first of all, it's heartbreaking when we see people that have to like go back, like unretire to go. We always say work as a greeter at Walmart. Like that's th the reason we say that is because like, that's the type of like, that's usually what Walmart hires to greet. Right. Or at least it, it's pretty common. But can I just tell you, like, it's a really sad thing when, when somebody has to, you know, especially at a stage of life where, you know, you should be resting, you should be able to like enjoy life. You should be able to, you know, do things on your own terms. And you may not have the, the same kind of energy and health that you once had. And yet, you know, you're anyway, so I don't even want to minimize that. I just think it's a huge. Okay. So back to your question, Blake, um, I feel like there's two sides to this. There's the side that, and this is like, it's a double-edged sword, literally, because on one side, what I saw is people who have money that don't want to spend it. And I saw people that have money that are, that are fearful of running out of money. So, but, but okay. So I should clarify when I say they don't want to spend it. Oftentimes it's because they don't want to pay taxes. They're like, Oh, I gotta, I, you know, I, I'm going to leave this account alone. So like the IRAs, the 401k money that they, that was, literally designed for that purpose is like the last money that they're spending. And it's like, oh, I've got to take this required minimum distribution. Like it's just going to raise my tax bill over here. And so there's like this, there's a pain in spending it, but then like simultaneously, there's this concern that they could run out of money because back to your point, when you go to the numbers and you start saying, Hey, you know, you, you know, look, usually what it looks like is, you know, the typical person might have um, uh, social security and let's say it's, you know, $30,000, $40,000 of social security. And then maybe they've got um, a couple million dollars in a 401k or maybe, you know, a million dollars. Maybe that's like atypical, maybe a million dollars in a 401k slash IRA, that kind of thing. Um, and, and if they're a little bit older, they might even have some sort of pension or something like that. Right. And then maybe they've even saved a couple hundred thousand dollars in their bank account. And that person, like they look from the outset at, and they are going into retirement feeling like, like it's all put together until to your point, when you like put pen to paper and you say, okay, here's how this is going to look and work. And you start, you know, factoring in things like inflation, suddenly it doesn't feel nearly as good. And so our, our point, I think, is to suggest that there's like an emotional, there's not just a, not just a practical benefit by learning to, to replace it. And by the way, so when we go back to the cash flow method, I want to hit on this for a second. So one of the, the biggest benefits of the cash flow method is usually I'm buying assets that continue to produce value. So when you can, when you um, juxtapose that against the the accumulation method where it's put the money in and then I spend it down versus what typical what the cash flow method typically looks like is buy assets that create cash flow they bring off the cash flow and the asset continues to go up mm -hmm. right so there's like two things happening it's and and so like it creates a freedom because I'm not only creating the cash flow that I want and need I'm also not having to worry or feel the same concern over the underlying asset being depleted by market volatility, as an example, right? Now, now everything has risk. I'm not saying if I have a business that there's no risk involved with that. There certainly is. But again, if it's like a, 
you know, if you're, if you're working with multifamily real estate, like even if the, you know, the value moves up or down a little bit, you've still got the consistent cash flow kind of smoothing things out and allowing you to, uh, if you want to wait to sell it, then you can let that ride until that point, that point in time where it makes sense. Uh, but anyway, like, I, I feel like there is, uh, not enough emphasis placed on how bad the accumulation method is in comparison to like anything else you can do. Like, again, I just go over the numbers. I've done it, you know, a thousand times and it's just so much less effective that I kind of get revved up about it because that's really what people are hearing. Like that is the message that's out there. Even in the like proactive, um, you know, fire community, like their message is, be skimp on as much as you can, save as much you as much as you can. Then they're telling people to actually live off the. Well, they're they're saying like the the. I'm trying to think of how they do it, like ten times income formula, something like I can't remember. But but like it's just so bad, Blake, that I'm like wanting to slap a bunch of people who are giving out really poor advice to the masses in general. It just gets me fired up. Well, I, I agree with you. And I see, you know, we do see that again. I, I think back to the, the people who love their 401k. I mean, you see people now that's like, that's their thing. Like I just max that out every holy year, grail. Faithfully, the Holy grail. I'll do something after, after I max this thing out. Right. And so they've loved this account. And then to your point, you get to, to go to quote unquote, retire. We want to start in the last place they want to take money from is the 401k because they just can't believe what it's going to do to their taxes, right? Okay, I got to send 40% of every dollar that comes out or 30% of every dollar that comes out to the government. And it and it is pretty amazing to have witnessed the thing that they love, they get to 72. Now we're required to, you know, the government says, hey, you got to start taking this money out. And they just rue the day of what what happens to the money you're it's like kind of funny right like it's got it to come out some way like yeah it, it's got to come come out some way or another right you put it in here whether you take it out while you're living or whether you, when you pass away you know the government's going to get there it's happening it's happening at some point blake i want to finish up by talking about entrepreneurship as the ultimate wealth creator so we hit on this a little bit up front but I want to talk about maybe the why, right? So we oftentimes talk about the, and you know, we see like these extreme examples. You'd be like, oh, duh. Well, yes, uh, the wealthiest people in the world obviously own Amazon and Facebook and et cetera. So duh, Christian, uh, building a business is clearly like the best way to create massive wealth. Okay. But that's not really what I'm talking about, right? Like I know that those exceptions exist. I'm talking about the, small to medium-sized business. You can be a small business owner and be worth $50 million or $100 million just by, again, by building a business that, you know, you earn, you know, three or four or $5 million a year with, right? So I'm not saying like that's significant, but it's not the same as what we're talking about with um, Jeff Bezos. So, Let's just get that part out of our head completely. But okay, so what are some of the reasons that building wealth through entrepreneurship is so powerful? I would say the first one is that from my experience, there's really no way to grow it, like an investment. Okay, I shouldn't say that. A typical investment 
just can't have the same kind of prolific growth that you can create in a business. Now, if I'm in, if I'm investing in a startup, like I might be able to create some of that, but more often what I see, um, and, and, you know, based on the people that we typically work with who, which are, you know, high income earners somewhere between 500,000 or maybe somewhere between 300,000 and a few million dollars a year on average. Right. And, um, those people are typically creating the, a business for themselves. And that's, what's like giving them a chance to build this wealth. So again, while it's obvious that massive wealth can be created, if I hit it big, you don't have to necessarily hit a big, you can just work hard, be determined, um, have a great trade or a value proposition that you're offering people. And by doing that, you can create value that there's just no way to do inside. Again, going back to the accumulation method, no matter how much, how good of a saver I am, I just can't really compete with the growth opportunity that exists inside of the entrepreneurship channel. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. And entrepreneurship very simply is just learning how to provide someone a, a skill or a, a service that you can sell, make money on, and then, and then scaling it. Right. And so as long as you can, as long as you can scale whatever service or uh, product that, that you're providing, the, the, the cap is really unlimited in the accumulation method. You only have so much capital. Again, if you're a prolific saver, you can get a good return on a, on a lot of capital. That's great, but that's really hard to do. And there's always going to be the limiting factor of, of how much are you able to invest. So one of the other elements that I like about entrepreneurship is just the idea that I can create multiple income streams. We talk about this, there's safety in multiple. We've been talking about the value or the importance of the cash flow method where I um, create a, a cash flow equal to or greater than like my, the, the basically to replace a working income. And I should, I want to back up for a second because I, I neglected to mention this. So when we talk about entrepreneurship, to your point, it can look, it can look a lot of different ways. So what was one of the more frequent kind of paths that we'll see is, let's say, a physician or a surgeon, um, someone that's you know generating a lot of income that decides, hey, I would like to eventually be able to walk away from this, um, and so therefore they start a business that entails investing, right? It's like, but it's really built as a business. So, so it's not one of those things like, like there are different, there's different levels of this. And sometimes you see it where it's like, Hey, I might just buy a property or two or something like that. But oftentimes what we see is like a really defined and strategic approach to moving capital into investment opportunities consistently. And what's really nice about that is that in, like really you get all of this, like that is owning a business. And as long as the structure is done correctly, you're going to get all of the same benefits, which brings me into one of the critical benefits. And that is the tax benefits that you cannot get um, in any other way by being a investor as a business. And by being a business owner, we now have access to all of the um, tax deduction and reduction strategies that just don't exist in the W2 world. The good news is, Again, if you're a high income W-2 earner, you can still be building that out as an investor. Whew, that was a lot. Did I miss anything? 
No, and I, I, I've heard you use this example before, but just the idea of quarterbacking your own kind of financial picture. And that's what I see a lot of with, with our clients. Yes, they're going to continue to do the, the work that they're doing to generate uh, a good income. But yeah, moving into the alternative space, yes, you're going to have people helping you on the tax and the legal and the asset protection and, you know, insurance and, and things like that. You'll you'll have people you're leaning on for those, but very much people need to take a little bit more of a quarterback role and in and of itself that it that is creating a business and and you can create your your multiple streams of income from that. Yep, I love it. Okay, Blake, we're 40 minutes almost. What's your key takeaway from our conversation today? And then we'll wrap it up. I think the the key takeaway is is thinking like an entrepreneur. So even if you're a, a W-2 worker, um, there's there's many ways to to create multiple streams of income. And really the entrepreneur thinks in terms of cash flow, right? The 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 people that we work with who understand the strategies that that we're talking about and, and working with them, a lot of times I can tell right away, are they thinking in terms of cash flow or are they thinking in terms of the accumulation method? And even if you th- once you start to look at things through that paradigm, you'll realize a lot of the stuff that you encounter just in the mainstream is all accumulation focus, right? Rate of return. What can we do? Where do you put your money to earn the highest return? When in reality, think of the end goal. The end goal is, is cash flow, right? So if you start with the end in mind, my job, my, my goal here is to create cash flow for myself, my family, that I can kind of live life on my own terms a little more that will totally change the way that you think about how you go about accumulating wealth. Mm, I love it. Blake, this has been fun, man. Thanks for hanging out with me. Happy to be here. All right. Well, Blake, I will see you next week. And thanks everyone for hanging out with us. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.